Hi, this is Sydney. I just wanted to let you know before we got started with this episode that, as you can probably tell from the title, this is one of our heavier episodes. We do cover a lot of material that is more um, emotional, perhaps, for some listeners, and certainly is for myself, uh, as as you will um, understand as you listen to the episode. So if you are not currently in a headspace where you want to um, engage with that kind of material, this may not be the episode for you right now. While I do believe it is incredibly important that we all be aware and tuned in to this issue, uh, we're not always in that that space to to think about it right away. So I wanted to make you aware of that before we get started. And secondly, I wanted to make you aware of the fact that this is by no means a complete history of abortion. Uh, that would take many, many episodes and also would involve a lot of issues in which I'm not an expert and would be beyond the scope of, of what I can address with expertise um, on this show. So uh, obviously there are many things that I am not able to cover or talk about, many modern issues, um, medications and procedures that I do not go into in great detail so that I can focus on sort of the the core theme, which is what did we do prior to modern methods of abortion and what could a future without those modern methods uh, being safely and legally available to all look like. So uh, I hope that I hope that this show will provide something um, important, something for you to think about and that you are able to learn and uh, engage with this when you're in a space to do so. So thank you all for listening and we'll get started with the show. Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Well, it's been uh, quite a few weeks, I would say. Yes. It's been a, a yeah, been quite a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a clever way to no get into this topic. To... Um, we have had a lot of listeners email and... Um, I think requesting something that we have never gone into the history of before on the show, um, but which is becoming extremely relevant to, I was going to say current history, but that's not a thing. History's in the past. Like, it can't be current. Just now times? Current should, events. The present? Modern, the, the present. present. Yeah, the that's present. the word. That's the word for current, current history. Current history, yes. The present. Whew. Uh, this was a tough one to put together. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, actually. Um. So we, we do want to talk about the history of abortion, specifically in the United States. I, I will give a little bit of an overview of like 
ancient history, mm-hmm. some different practices and things um, for some context of how long some of these methods have been around and, and, and like the the desire to seek some way to end a pregnancy um, has been around since, I mean, as far as I can tell, pregnancy itself. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to like the legal perspective and where we are today, I'm really focusing a lot more on what's going on in the United States because that's where we live and things are about to change. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it seems highly likely that things are about to change dramatically in terms of access to abortion care in this country. So uh, I just want to start off by saying that um, when we are taught medical ethics in medical school, we are taught like the four basic principles of medical ethics. And in short, one of them is autonomy, meaning that at the end of the day, whatever I think is like the doctor or whatever my opinion is, whatever I am offering, my advice, the best practice, whatever I think, at the end of the day, the patient has the right, the, and it is my ethical duty to protect that right to them, you know, having autonomy over their own body and making that decision for themselves. And uh, we also have dictated in this country a right to privacy when it comes to those decisions, specifically medical decisions. I mean, there's a reason I can't tell you all about <laughs> every patient I see and what we did. Uh, one, because I wouldn't do that. That would be, you know, mm-hmm. bad. That would uh, that would violate my own personal ethics. But it would also violate the law. I'm not allowed to do that. Um, so I just want to start off with that is the that is the medical perspective on this issue, and this is a medical history show. And I'll start off with the Justin perspective. I don't really think we need that. <laughs> I no on this. Episode. I love you. Do you have a uterus? No, just on this episode. Uh, I, listen, y'all. I'm going to try my best to 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 hang in there. In terms of normally, I do try to like do the goof parts, and there are certain episodes where that doesn't feel real appropriate. So if you notice me being a little bit quiet, it's because I'm a person without a uterus who normally does jokes. So. I'm just, I'm just along, happy to be here. And I'm not going to, I mean, you can't talk about the history of abortion and abortion law and pretend that there aren't all these other like religious and spiritual and all these other issues that have come into play because people have them, these feelings and these values and these beliefs, they have impacted the course of history when it comes to who can access abortion. Um, I'm not going to get, those are not my areas of expertise. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what every single, you know, religious system of beliefs on earth feels about abortion and where those came from. I couldn't, first of all, that, how long would that show be? I can't even tell you. Um, (laughs) And secondly, that's not, again, that's not my area of expertise and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the medical history of abortion, but I just want to acknowledge that obviously all of those things do come into play because they impact again the procedure itself and who gets who gets it, who gets access to abortion, um, and our laws. Our laws are being impacted by those same belief structures. So, again, as long as people have become pregnant, at least as as long as recorded history, we we have some evidence that. There were people who attempted to um, induce abortion either on themselves or on others 
uh, because they did not want to have a child, presumably for whatever reason. We can't. We cannot know. Right. The the reasons. Um, the uh, you can we can imagine that humans being human. <laughs> The reasons are probably similar to what a lot of people would say today. And we we find that a lot on this show, I think, that we tend to think of, like, people of the past as um, somewhat alien to us. Yeah, it's all the— We're all, It's just humans human. That's what we do. Like, we do the human things and our reasons and, and things. Like, of course they have to be set in the context of where and when we live and, and who we are within that society. Um, but more or less, we tend to have the same motivations— the, the first mention of the practice of abortion that I know of, the Ebers Papyrus from 1550 BCE, um, and it generally just says, like, in terms of what, what it talks about, it's, it's mentioning that if the father is not involved in the decision-making, there, w- there would have been a penalty. Mm. Um, and a lot of this, and this was not true everywhere, I should say, because for a lot of this, uh, when it came to whether or not someone could access abortion, a lot of it was tied up with who would get property if the paternal figure died or concerns about infidelity. Like a lot of it had to do with these sort of patriarchal structures of society. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it was it was practical from that standpoint as opposed to like some sort of moral objection. If that makes right. sense. Yes, it, yes. it had to do with money and property and name and inheritance and the whole, yeah, those sorts of things. Um, the uh, for many um, ancient people, though, who would have desired to end a pregnancy, the options were not necessarily safe or effective. Um, some would engage in some sort of strenuous activity that w- this is something that is a common theme throughout history, like. Mm-hmm. Lift heavy things, carry heavy things, Basically, run, the, jump. The inverse of the things they tell you to avoid or at least have traditionally told you to avoid. When well, you're... yes, but even those pieces of advice are somewhat outdated. I said tradi- like, that's how I said I said you said traditionally. You that's, that, yes, right? you did. Because, I mean, there are people who run marathons pregnant. I can't imagine doing that myself, but I also can't imagine running a marathon. So, so yes, so right. There we go. That's not that's not saying <laughs> that's that much. Not, I am not a runner. Um, they have they have marathons at Disney World, and I still would not do one of those. No, I I would not I would not do that. But uh, imagine Mickey seeing me like that. But again, like these methods would not have been necessarily effective for any reason. I mean, you can run when you're pregnant. Yeah. But but we didn't know that, you know. We the didn't baby's understand. Baby's like a can of nitrous. You can just use the baby. The baby can give you a boost of energy at the right moment. Mm, having been pregnant twice, I would not say that it gave me a boost of energy. <laughs> By boost of energy, I mean pee your pants. <laughs> <laughs> some some turn to the the common things of the day: fasting or bloodletting. You know the things we use sort of for everything, um, because obviously we understood the fact that the the fetus was growing in the somewhere in the abdomen because we could see that, uh, then some sort of binding or pressure on the abdomen was sometimes used or tried or advised. Kind of squeeze or constrain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, there, There's one text that describes like you could sit over a pot of like steaming onions or heat, in general heat, like putting heat on the abdomen or hot water, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. something hot, hot stones. Um and, and again, a lot of this was just simply, it, it's just kind of laid out plainly as like, these are things people do without much commentary. Like, here are some things that you could do. Um, 
And this was true throughout a lot of the writings of the ancient Greeks and Romans. Um, again, the concerns they had about abortion were mainly either one, if it deprived a man of an offspring in which he may have had some interest, <laughs> a son, I'm assuming, yes, someone to inherit property and, and stuff so that, that it wouldn't get handed off to other people. An heir. An heir. Um, then that then that would be a, a reason that you could be punished or that it could be seen as bad. And even then, I'm not I'm not saying everyone was put to death, but these were reasons why they may advise against it. Um or again, just like there was this there was this constant concern about um infidelity, that it was being used as a way to conceal that right. you had, had an extramarital affair. Right. Um also, there was this Serranus writes, who's a, a Greek physician, wrote that uh, you should not have an abortion if it is either in the case of infidelity, mainly because then the dude wouldn't get to know. Like, that's the, you know. Right. <laughs> um, or if it's just for concern over loss of your youth and beauty, which just, I mean, when we start to think about, like, the mind of the person with the uterus who may have been seeking this abortion— I, it's hard to say what was going on because these are the kind of writings we get. They're from a perspective That's that is so other. Yeah. Someone who who doesn't have a uterus, who can't be pregnant or have an abortion. Um, so the idea that you would want one solely because of a concern about loss of beauty, I mean— It's very dismissive. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, and again, this was like a constant fear that like people are going to do that. I'm guessing that that wasn't true. Now, it's interesting because when you do look to the ancient Greeks, it actually is quite relevant to today in terms of U.S. abortion law because the Hippocratic Oath was brought up multiple times in Roe v. Wade. Really? Yes. Justice Blackmun specifically asked several questions related to the oath and its position on abortion. Um and I think from reading some of those conversations, it's almost in the sense that which we've done a whole episode on the oath. So yeah. the oath is not legally binding. No, it's an oath. <laughs> and it, it it also isn't what we say today. Like the original Hippocratic Oath is not what we repeat. I mean, the majority There's of us. There's a lot more stuff about Bitcoin these days. <laughs> well, it's changed. It's changed. It's been modernized. It reflects the modern practice of medicine. Um, and again, it is more just sort of a guide. It's like a, it's like a, an idea of what a doctor should be a, as opposed to something binding. Um, but in the text of the original oath, there's the statement, I will give no deadly medicine to anyone if asked, nor suggest any such counsel. And in like manner, I will not give to a woman an abortive pessary. And some people have argued, like, see, look, in the original Hippocratic Oath, they're against abortion. But again, there are a couple things we should note. The original Hippocratic Oath also says you shall not cut for the stone, which means don't do surgery. <laughs> because at the time, surgeons were an entirely separate profession, and they were seen by doctors as... Unsavory. Uh, yes, somewhat yeah. barbaric. I mean, really, like there, it was seen that this was not something that we would do. But but that was because surgery usually back then it was not it was, it was not great. great. <laughs> and so and so you wouldn't have so you know you can't do surgery in the original Hippocratic Oath. You also aren't supposed to charge medical students for teaching them medicine. How about it? <laughs> and <laughs> how about it, everybody? Uh, how literally I, do we want to take this? I incurred a six figure debt that would say otherwise. Yeah. So. 
So we don't exactly follow the oath in a real way. And again, it's changed over times. And all that aside, the text itself is is really referencing specifically the use of a pessary. And what this would have been would have been some sort of like herbal concoction, like paste substance that would have actually been inserted into the vagina in order to try and induce an abortion. Mm. And the the thing about that is it was a very dangerous practice of, at the time. Of all the methods you could use, this was one of the most dangerous uh, because a lot of people weren't doing surgical procedures. Right. Um, this was one of the most dangerous you could do and could result in infection and death. And so, and this is like echoed throughout history that a lot of reasons that physicians were advising against abortion had a lot more to do with because they didn't have safe ways to do them at the time and a lot less to do with some sort of moral grounds. Now, this will change. But at the time, it was very much like, no, don't do that because you might kill someone. Right. Much like surgery. Don't do surgery. You might kill someone. We certainly don't believe that today. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when you re- look at the writings of like Soranus, Discorides, Hippocrates, Pliny the Elder— um, all of them advise different ways that one may induce an abortion. So uh, there were there were all kinds of herbal methods like um, the oil of common rue or birthwort or hellbore. Um, there was a plant called silphium. All of these things were advised as potential things you could take that might uh, terminate a pregnancy. They also advised something that would eventually be known as the Lacedaemonian leap. And uh, this is when you jump and, like, touch your feet to your butt. Can you picture what I'm saying? Yeah. You jump up in the air. I do it many times every (laughs) single day. And this was thought to be a method of inducing an abortion. It is not. And that is a reference to an area of Greece, like. Where that kind of jumping is popular. (laughs) I guess. Um, Plenty also. Is that maybe, I mean. It's history, so it could be where they invented that kind of jumping. But one yeah. person could have done that. But like, did anybody see that? <laughs> that was my my whole feet touched my butt. Everyone, get <laughs> over here! My feet. I invented a new jump. Uh, Plenty also advised stepping over a viper, which is a wild sentence. I would never advise stepping over a viper. Hey, Plenty, yeah, I don't think that that's a good. That's a good. That's one of your worst ones. Yeah, we know. We know all about Plenty, we know Plenty the Elder here, a though. Shoot, shoot from the hip. It's always nice to see him, but I, that doesn't seem particularly helpful. And it's interesting because if you look into like again, like the the morality of it, when all of these sort of um, ancient physicians are writing about abortion, they say that like basically it's kind of put in the same category as other things that you might do that were considered like. <sighs> From, like, some sort of spiritual perspective, maybe unclean would be the word that they would use. So, like, it's in the same category as stuff like menstruation, loss of virginity, childbirth itself, um, death of a family member. Um, And and the reason that we know that is, like, for instance, you couldn't enter the temple of Athena if you had had an abortion in the last 40 days. So you had to wait 40 days before you could go into that temple. Um, Similarly, this is like actually one day less than you had to wait if you lost your virginity or if somebody close to you had died. In those cases, you have to wait 41 days. And there's a lot – that's not uncommon uh, with religious uh, tracts and uh, groups like tying – menstruation and all, mm-hmm. all kinds of those things to like an uncleanliness, like there's certain things that you should not do. Exactly. So you can't enter the temple now because you have done these things, or at least you have to wait for a while and then you'll be clean enough that you can do it again. If you eat cheese, you only had to wait one day. That, can you? Whoa. Okay. 
that would have been a game changer for me as a kid. Like, just in time for church. Like, ah, oh, crap, dang. I did so want to go praise praise Jesus today, but like, cheese. You just ate cheese. I had pizza this morning called pizza. <laughs> dang. Guess I got to stay here and watch Transformers. Shoot. Um, and in addition, uh, abortions were sort of accepted um, generally for most cultures. And again, this is a generalization. I- everything is different, again, depending on like the culture, the religious tradition in that part of the world, who you were within the structure of that society, mm-hmm. what your reasonings were. Um, but they were sort of accepted prior to what was called quickening, which the quickening, this is not a Highlander thing. <laughs> Way to cut me off at the pass or cut me off at the neck, I guess. Highlander? Yeah. Uh, basically around 20 weeks when you can first feel the movement of the fetus. Okay. That, that was called the quickening. And at the time, because we didn't – before we had like ultrasounds and could understand what was happening. I mean we've talked about this a lot about pregnancy and childbirth on the show before. We had some really wild ideas of what was going on in there, going on in the uterus. That actually tracks with the Highlander fiction. Um, whenever Duncan McLeod beheads another Highlander, he does actually become um, pregnant. <laughs> that's I actually in there. I've never seen the show, but I yeah, don't think no, no, that's no. what Every happened. time he kills somebody, he gets uh, pregnant, so he has to take a little break. But um, there was can do another one. There was some idea that that is when the, something becomes alive, the quickening. Like this was because you could feel movement. This was indicative of like life. Life. And so prior to that, this is fine. After that, there could be penalties, or at least like nobody would do it. Was kind of the thought. Um, but uh, but again, there was still not a completely safe way to do it either at this point in history. We have a lot of things that may or may not work, a lot of things that may have been harmless, some things that were very harmful, Mm -hmm. um, but no sure way. Now, this is really going to change as especially as we move into the 19th century and and specifically as we move into the U.S., this is when a lot of things that have to do with abortion begin to change. And I'm going to talk to you about that. Okay. Right after we go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although. There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals I can say are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 and use code sawbones 50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones 50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You're in a theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she just stand up to her? Oh, God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? If you've ever recognized yourself in a movie, then join me, Jordan Cruciola, for the podcast Feeling Seen. We've talked to author Susan Orlean on realizing her own marriage was falling apart after watching Adaptation, an adaptation of her own work, and comedian Hari Kondabolu on why Harold and Kumar was a depressingly important movie for Southeast Asians. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. (laughs) In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback is three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Shire. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! All right, so we're moving over stateside, or at least we're headed that way. Yes, so uh, there were, like I said, there was no completely safe way um, to ensure Uh, an abortion. There were a variety of herbal preparations that were sometimes effective, sometimes not. Um, Surgery was a huge risk. There was no anesthesia at this point. There were not sterilization methods. Um, So a surgical abortion, no matter who did it or where you did it, could result in death. So a lot of doctors just didn't, right? Because they didn't know how to do it safely, you know, so they just avoided it. And at the time, again, this would have fallen in line with the idea that 
you wouldn't have done any surgery unless it was absolutely necessary because you knew that the surgery might well kill the person. Um, And it would have been considering that almost all physicians were male and then, well, all and then almost all as we move into this time period, uh, it would have been highly unlikely that a cis male physician would have understood why a patient would have come to him and said, this abortion is medically necessary for me. You know what I mean? They would not have seen those reasons. Anything that has to do with like mental health or any sort of social pressures or running from domestic violence, anything like that would not have fallen into what they're talking about. They mean like death is imminent. Right, right, right. So this would really inform like this pushback against abortion in the 19th century because if doctors won't do it, who is doing it? Well, like midwives were still some, not, I don't mean all, but like there were midwives who would do it. And then there were other, usually lay providers um, or female providers who were willing to train and learn and do these procedures and and help people with these uh, processes who were not doctors. And doctors did not like that. They didn't like the idea that there were people who were practicing medicine who weren't physicians. Yeah, that's why you got so upset about that gym store that just opened up in Huntington. It's like, how dare they? They're cutting into your profit margins. Right. That's always, you, you know me, I'm so big with my profit margins. <laughs> um, so, so there was, and this was again in line with this time of medicine, there was a lot of professionalization of medicine. Like physicians yes. were trying to like clamp down on who could call themselves a doctor and we're who could practice up medicine. On the, the FDA. Yes. Early 19, very early 1900s where a lot of this stuff starts to become codified and you see a lot of uh, push to legitimize doctors, which legitimizing always in, at least in terms of medicine, I think legitimizing almost always uh, becomes othering certain groups that you like that don't fall in line with your your standards there's people who are excluded right oh yeah absolutely and and we've talked about that on the show because it's a nuanced area yeah all of this is nuanced which is hard to communicate sometimes but there there were people who were definitely doing harm right like we've talked about this how many times on the show like snake oil salespeople who were doing harm who were taking advantage of people and giving them things that could harm them or at the very least were ineffective. Um, But then there were just people with different perspectives or providing other services who were excluded from the practice of medicine just because they didn't fit into what the majority of doctors thought a doctor should be like. And so that would probably exclude a lot of people based on race or gender or what religious beliefs, whatever which is true for a lot of sectors of society. Uh, so in 1821, Connecticut became the first state to restrict abortion. After quickening, you could not have an abortion. Mm. Um, and again, a lot of this was because doctors were saying, we can't do this, and the people who are doing it, in our mind, are bad people. They're criminals. So don't do them. Just ban them. Just don't do them. Um what would follow was a was a push from the American Medical Association, from the AMA. Um, it was largely one figure within the AMA, a gynecologist named Horatio Storer, who really lobbied strongly and created a whole organization of physicians with, within the AMA to lobby against abortion. First, it was based on safety, again, but it grew into this moral argument uh, that you shouldn't do it 
And also it harmed the person who was having the abortion performed, that it would make the person deranged was mm. the word used to have this performed, which I think is is sort of like the the underpinnings of the arguments that people will try to use today that everyone who has an abortion performed regrets it. I think this is like the beginning of that, like some sort of like inherent emotional instability that would prevent you from being able to have this procedure without, you know, suffering mental illness type consequences. Um, so, but the other thing, the other thing that was part of this argument, and we're in like the mid 1800s at this point, a big part of it was that in the U.S. there was a lot of immigration and some of these doctors were arguing that if we start allowing specifically white Americans to have abortions, if we are allowing this to happen, we will be replaced by immigrants who are coming to our country. Which, yes, that is replacement theory. That is part of this push against abortion was the idea that we cannot allow white people to access this care. Um, and I think it's really important to point to these these aspects of, of the movement that would eventually, you know, end abortion access for a while in this country um, was that – and the same thing that sadly you are hearing echoed even today in the year 2022 in the United yeah. States, um, which of course is a racist theory. I don't think I need to say that, but – there. There it is. <laughs> um, so between this campaign and then some of the things, again, we've talked about on the show before, there was the Comstock Act of 1873, which made it illegal to send something that was, quote, obscene through the mail or across state lines, which would have anything related to birth control, anything right, related right. to abortion care, anything like that would have been considered obscene. Um, and so that greatly limited, like, the ability for people to access this stuff. And then the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, which made it illegal to sell anything that would um, – the word was a, de a deleterious effect on a person. And this was seen to include inducing an abortion. So if you took a medicine and it caused you to, you know, miscarry, then that would have been a deleterious effect according to this law. So, the, you know, that – so by 1910, there were restrictions in pretty much every state. Um, by 1967, it would be a felony in every state. So you can see the the shift of that movement. And there was never any abortions ever again. But I think, well, no, you know that's not true. And I think that's the important thing to note is that we lived in a – we didn't live. There was a time in this country where abortions were completely illegal. It did not stop abortions um, between some secret – sort of kitchen table surgical procedures and very cleverly marketed herbal preparations, abortions continued. And I think that's one, it, we've talked a lot on this show about patent medicines and specifically how many patent medicines were marketed for like, quote, female complaints. Mm. Um, we've even talked about something called Lydia Pinkham's vegetable compound. Do you yeah, remember that? For sure. Lydia Pinkham's vegetable compound was considered one of the early secret abortifacient medic like medications because Sorry, it contained something that would induce an abortion because it contained some herbal th ingredients that were thought to do that. Mm. So a lot of these medicines that a, were targeted- label use, I, I'm assuming. Well, the way that they would get around this is that they would, they would put things, warnings on the package oh. 
to not use this if you were pregnant because it could induce a miscarriage. And so these warnings were actually advertisements. People knew what they were doing. Oh. It was a it was a it was a warning, don't take this if you're pregnant, but that was exactly why. And they would use words like it will restore regularity. What they're talking about is menstrual regularity. Mm. It will return your periods, meaning you will no longer be pregnant. Um or, but again, a lot of them were just generally female complaints is how the wording on the packaging would have been and as some if you were someone who was seeking something to induce an abortion you may you would understand that's what that was um and a lot of them contain things like uh pennyroyal was very common pennyroyal tea has i mean that has been like a mainstay of these sort of herbal attempts uh to induce miscarriage and hellbore uh, ergotin um spanish fly was a common ingredient. All of these things, if you saw them on the package, this would have been assigned to you, the buyer. Okay, I know what this is for. Um, but they were skirting all of the FDA requirements by putting it as a warning. Um, in addition to these things, a lot of desperate patients turned to all kinds of uh, very dangerous methods at home, um, attempts to physically end the pregnancy with... Um, procedures at home with candles, with curling irons, with oh. spoons, with catheters, um, injecting water into the uterus. Uh, people still tried things like exertion, like exercise, um, um, like a controlled fall down a flight of stairs, um, which you see, and I mean, you see these things like in memes now, like... But this is where it comes from because these were the things that weren't just tried but were passed on from person to person as like here is something you can do if you're in a bad situation and you don't know what else to do. Um, it's, uh, it is hard to say, you know, like if you look back statistically because you, you don't hear this number, right? Like I don't hear people saying, do you know how many people definitely – died from attempting it's impossible, I mean, it's impossible to say it's impossible. it's impossible but but we know um we have estimates that tell us how many tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of people will not receive um abortion care who desire it should roe v wade be overturned we know those numbers and so from that we can extrapolate that there were a lot of people who were probably seeking this care and were trying these dangerous methods. Um, there was one example that became sort of one of the um, uh, biggest motivating stories of the abortion rights movements that would that would happen in the U.S. in the '60s and into the '70s. Um, sort of, I don't want to say ending with Roe v. Wade because obviously it didn't end, but culminating perhaps in, in that case. Um, there was an example that uh, was was well known about a young woman named Jerry Santoro, who was 29. She had left her husband, uh, had to flee her husband for domestic violence. She already had two children. She had become um, pregnant with a new, like a coworker, um, after leaving her husband. And her husband and her husband was going to come to visit the children, and she was afraid of him if he found out that she had become pregnant, what he might do. So fearing for her life, she attempted with her 
uh, significant other attempted a uh, self-induced surgical abortion in a hotel room and died from this procedure. Um, and this was sort of a, uh, I would, I would highly advise, uh, if you decide to look into this case further, um, be very careful because the image that accompanies like any article you want to read about this case was used a lot in the rallies for abortion rights. Um, and it was the police photo that was taken when they found her. And I would highly advise you not to seek that out unless you know what you're about to encounter. And personally, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to see that. But, um, but uh, it is evocative and, and, and heartbreaking. And it was important at the time to share these stories and to tell people the reality that banning abortion doesn't end abortion. It just ensures that people die while they're having abortions. Um, sorry, it was not something I was prepared for. <laughs> so this is why I'm warning you. So in uh, 1973, a woman in Texas who would be known as Jane Roe, that is not her actual name, but that was the name used in the case, uh, sought an abortion, couldn't have one because of the laws in Texas. The result of this is Roe v. Wade. Wade was the attorney general in Texas. So they sued uh, to get an abortion. It would, Texas took it to the Supreme Court when they lost, and eventually the right for people in the U.S. to access an abortion was codified by the Supreme Court. I think it's interesting the opinion was released to Time Magazine and was actually published in Time Magazine just before it was released. Oh, really? It was not a leak. I know there's a lot of talk about leaks, but this was not actually a leak. It was intentionally sent to Time, and they were supposed to release their decision before Time went to publication, so it would follow right after the decision was released. Um, but somebody got delayed so I think it's kind of interesting. It ran on newsstands before it was formally presented by the court. Um, and that was the law until now. So assuming that the leaked opinion isn't changed in some way before it is formally released, which I, I don't right. I don't have any reason to think it would. I am not a legal scholar. I don't know. But um, abortion will be up to the states. That is what this means. It doesn't mean that abortion is immediately banned in the United States. It means that state-by-state state laws will determine whether or not a person can access abortion care. And in many states, including West Virginia, it will just immediately become illegal. Um, there will be It will be a felony. Uh, in some states, they're targeting the person who accesses the care. In some states, they target the doctor who performs uh, the abortion. Um, there will be some states that may have certain exceptions. This was true back when these laws were first enacted for, for rape or for incest or for, you know, life of the pregnant person. Um, others won't have any exceptions. And um, in some cases, people who don't want to have children will be forced to give birth. And in some cases, people will just drive or fly to wherever they can access that care because they have the the means, the privilege, the you know, ability to, to do so. And in other cases, people will do exactly what we just recounted. They will do exactly what they've always done, which is seek a possibly unsafe, possibly deadly method to induce an abortion because it is the only means they have for survival. And and I think it's important to note uh, that as I already as I already sort of you know, said, this will largely affect people who are living in poverty or people who don't, not even people living in poverty, people who just don't have the money, the means to 
not go to work and drive somewhere else or to get a plane ticket and fly somewhere right. else depending on where you are. I mean not I mean you don't have to be you know living below the poverty line to be in a position where like an unexpected plane ticket and hotel stay is a huge expense. Of course. Yeah. And then of course like all of these injustices it will disproportionately affect black people, indigenous people, people of color um who are always affected more strongly by these sorts of uh, restrictions on our on our rights and autonomy. I think that this is about a right to autonomy. It's about a right to privacy. And there's been a lot of talk about that too. And I, I think we you could have many conversations about if we sort of decide in the United States that we don't have a right to privacy when it comes to these decisions, that the government is allowed to enter into our homes and enter into our exam rooms and enter into our surgical suites and tell us what we can do with our bodies, um, that the ramifications of that for other areas of life, there's a lot to say about that. I mean, you know, whether we're talking about um, birth control or we're talking about who we're allowed to marry or, um, you know, who knows uh, what, what else that could have an effect on. There are all kinds of medical procedures that the government could decide you can access or treatments that the government decide you can access or not access. Um, and uh, I think that an argument that the Constitution didn't originally guarantee us literally a right to abortion, well, the Constitution didn't give me a right to vote. Right. And the Constitution didn't recognize the personhood of a black American. So I, I don't think that that necessarily <laughs> holds up, and and we seem to have accepted that in many other realms. But uh, the majority of Americans don't want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. The majority of West Virginians, which I only say because we are seen as one of the um, one of the states that would be very anti-choice, but the majority of West Virginians don't want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. Um. So uh, I think that if you personally believe that it is not okay for whatever reason to have an abortion, um, banning abortion won't stop it. It will just make it very unsafe. There are programs that would make it easier for people to have children um, on their own timeline and, you know, when they desire to. We could make sure that everybody has access to birth control and to family planning education. We could make sure that um, you could you could provide paid family leave for people so that they know when they have a child, they don't have to miss work and they can still pay the bills and, you know, feed their other children that they have. Because a lot of people who seek this care already have children. Um, we could pay people a living wage. We could make sure that everybody has access to health care so they don't have to worry about how am I going to go to the doctor and take my kids to the doctor and what are we, you know, go to the dentist and, and go to the eye doctor and all the other things that become such giant hurdles for families we could make sure that having a child is feasible if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at the end of the day, I deeply value my autonomy and my privacy. And I believe most Americans do too. I agree. Um, you know, it's interesting we did the baby formula episode last week and that is that is food to keep babies alive and uh just this past week with the um 
Infant Formula Supplemental Appropriations Act, which was to make it easier for those babies to be fed. 192 Republicans voted against it. That's going to do it for this week on Sawbones. Thank you so much for listening. Um, hang in there. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Vote. The, the well. The no. The <laughs> one thing know. I'll say is that um, it is it is imperative that we increase the knowledge of access to safe. Abortion and and uh, by the way, I didn't even talk about the fact that there is there is medicine that you can take too. Like it is not always surgical anymore. Yeah. That we have a medical therapy as well that is a pill. So I, I know we've been focused a lot on the surgery, but the, that should be noted. And that again, there's so much history in this topic. You could do a hundred episodes and still not cover everything there is to say about it. Um, but I think that what is going to be really imperative is to remember that. Getting people who desire this care, helping them access it in a safe way has got to be, for those of you who think, how can I help? What can I do? That is what you can do. Um, returning to these other methods that were unsafe and that resulted in harm cannot be what what people feel forced to do. We have to to provide a safe way to get people – to the care. If we can't give the care to them where they live, then they need to get to where the care is. And we have to work on systems. And there already are systems like this, by the way. There was there are huge articles on like um, organizations that do just that. Um, but that that has to be where the focus is. We cannot return to the days of. I don't even want to say it. We just we just can't we can't go back to that. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.